0: Hello and welcome to Talking HE. My name is Anthony Vasant. In this episode, we speak to Colvir Bara, who works at the Open University. We discuss some of the issues surrounding the digital divide for Open University students. Colvir talks us through his own experience of studying at the Open University and some tips for academic staff to make their modules more accessible. We hope you enjoy this episode.
1: So my name is Kulvir Barra, I'm a Digital Development Editor at the Open University in the FutureLearn My Credentials team.
0: Thanks Kulvir for coming on Talking HE. My question to you is about the digital divide. What do you see as the main issues for students who don't have either the equipment or the space to study and how has the Open University enabled them to do so?
1: Hmm. Okay, well that's a really good question. So I think from how can we help with the digital divide in the UK? I think for the learners from the OU there's been a lot of work going on around student voice. So it's all about hearing what the learners are telling the OU in terms of what they need, um, giving them opportunities to co-create some of the content, to test some of the learning materials that they're actually learning and give us ongoing feedback. And that can sometimes mean doing a lot of surveys with the learners and ask them to tell us what they think. One of the bigger issues is that a lot of the learners, quite a high proportion compared to other HEI or higher education institutions in the UK, have disclosed that they've got disability. So, We At the OU they have to take that into consideration and make sure that not only do they get a good positive experience on the online side of learning, they get opportunities for printed materials as well and that's been quite a big project at the Open University.
0: Do you find that that your your learners are quite willing to disclose that um, disability?
1: Um, it depends. I suppose it. I suppose it depends on the context, is not it? Um, the other challenge with disclosure is that um, there's a need for them to apply for funding through the DSA because learners have to pay that themselves, and it's quite a large amount of money. So I think it's in the region of five hundred pound. If the learners are actually struggling day to day in their um, In their ongoing costs, you know, living costs, then that can be a bit tricky to get that money back. In terms of, is it really worth and going through that going through that process or procedure? So, I think it's a really really important thing to consider when we're designing learning for learners, is to think about where they, you know, how they're learning, what they're learning on, what device. Um, Not a lot of learners have access to the perfect or singing or dancing laptop or desktop PCs. Mm -hmm. Some learners are probably using their tablet device or having to use their mobile phone. Um, So I think we need to be very aware of that and to give them a bit of a balanced experience in in how they 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 get their learning outcomes met and their assessment met.
0: How do you and others at the Open University make staff, lead tutors aware of these student needs.
1: So at the top level it's usually all done by the learning design team. So there's a dedicated learning design team at the Open University who help shape and design and help module teams design their, their learning content. And that was set up from it was the acronym for that was Oldie, which is OU Learning Design Initiative, which I think goes mm. back to 2015 not 10 actually uh, no 2010 10. sorry yeah you're right yeah, 2010 yeah. sorry i'm thinking about the gist project sorry yes uh, so, yeah yes yeah,
0: yeah, so yes the gist project was about 2010ish
1: yeah yes and um, thank you and um, what that meant for was that it was using connell's um, learning activity types mm-hmm. and dynalorola's learning activity types as well together to try and create some sort of framework in terms of how to get learning design embedded as early as possible in the design of, of module production. And that was kind of very important because you could give learners a lot of assimilative learning, i.e. read something, watch something, um, listen to something online. But we would never really ever thought about the engagement. What do the learners have to do from this? So making it more engaging made it more I suppose, enjoyable, more challenging, more, I suppose, exciting from the student's perspective,
0: Mm.
1: and that's part of the reason why that was brought in. Um, I don't know everything about, I mean, mean, I'm talking from my perspective itself, so it could be a little bit restricted because I've only had so much exposure to what's been going on at the OU.
0: From your experience, what is the advice given to Open University students as to where to study? And is that advice based on any research from the Open University?
1: I think from what we understand and from what I understand I think the learners are learning everywhere you know it's anywhere Um, that's part of the reason why the the VLE that the virtual learning environment that they used Moodle was used so that it was seamless on all the devices that learners had so it was seamless on the desktop to the laptop to the tablet device to mobile phone, and having the option to have offline learning materials available was really important for the OU. So back in 2012, the Pro VC at that time was Martin Bean, an Australian professor. Mm-hmm. Yes, and his one of his visions for the OU was to create. Um, offline learning of all the vle material so that learners were not uh, neglected in terms of how they access their learning materials and from that project in the space i think it was it was about 3 months to 6 months the ous um, learning teaching uh, solutions team that's what it was called at that time lts which is now called learning discovery services they came up with the idea that it was an idea called OU Anywhere, which was like an app on a on a mobile device, mm. which could be your Kindle, your your iPad, your um, and the the idea behind that idea the project was to start to structure all the online learning into EPUBs, uh, Mobi, for Word files, mm. and so that learners could access it at any time, at any point. And that was really important because um, it kind of made it easier for learners to access their learning material where they study, you know, some learners could be around the world. I mean, I know when I was studying for my masters, I I started one of my modules in what was on holiday in India, in Punjab. Mm. And I know that that in itself created some issues for like trying to update the forums and responding to questions and activities or learning mm. and the only way I could get around it was because knowing that in Punjab, I don't know if you've ever been there, but in Punjab um, it's a rural part of India in yes. the north yes. uh, near Pakistan mm. and power cuts can happen at any point. Mm. So without without any um, advance warning and it's quite common to have a power cut in, in the village, mm. um, you'd lose all your internet whilst you could be studying. So I had to um, create podcasts, funny enough, um, of my responses to my learning materials on my mobile phone, on my smartphone. And then when I came back to the UK, I just uploaded them to SoundCloud and then posted a catch-up with the team, with the the, the learning cohort, that I'd done this, you know, I completed my podcast online and they would just listen to it. And that was probably the only... Best way I could do about get, get, get sort of getting around the, the the problem or the issue of how to be proactive online. I mean, with that I had an e-book, an e-reader um, with all the material downloaded on it anyway in EPUB format, and mm. then I had a notebook offline to, just to write up my responses to the activities and the questions.
0: Right, and then record them and then obviously upload them to SoundCloud okay. when you came back to, back to the UK. UK. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so I guess that's a, that's a kind of semi, uh, you know, technological solution to, you know, it's, it's still asynchronous but you've got some, at least people hearing your responses as opposed to yeah. um, what were the other students doing in terms of ones that were here in this country, they were just, they were using... Theropolo.
1: They're updating the VLE, they're doing all the updates in the VLE in the module website itself, in the forum space. Mm. So that's just um, text, quite writing text. Yeah, just text writing, a bit like, a, you know, having a conversation in the, yeah. in the online mm. um, area. Right.
0: Yeah. So in, in some senses, they, they maybe got a, a slightly richer experience of your replies as sound yeah. files, um, as opposed to written. Um, responses um but yeah that's that's a really um interesting uh, example and a personal example from yourself in terms of um some of the challenges that are faced by as you say learners in in parts of rural india or, or you know um anywhere in the world where there is you know l- low um you know socio um, yeah maybe yeah, yeah exactly um or, or and or um you know power and um data issues wi-fi issues um mm which is which is really, really common Um, and still still a a common thing. Mm, That's really interesting. This pandemic has really shown the inequalities across the world. And one of those is obviously the digital divide. What would be your top tips for academics who don't have access to a learning design team or indeed a learning designer to make their materials more accessible?
1: Yeah, so I think from my perspective, I think the best advice I could give would be to make sure there's a good rich uh, variety of activity types for learners to do and give learners choice in how they respond. Um, mm-hmm. So for example, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see 20 videos on a, on a course one after the other. Because <laughs> that could be a bit too much for learners to mm. watch and to, to yeah. engage with. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I'd probably want to see learners proactively doing something as they read content online. So yeah, there's two worlds. There's two worlds that they play. You know, learners are playing in that they're, they're studying in a world where they're reading content, but they have to also respond to the content as well. So make sure they're kind of proactively doing some sort of engagement with their learning reflecting uh make sure there's a few quizzes in there to check their understanding um Mm. Mm. make sure the workload is doable so i wouldn't want to see um your equivalent of war and peace you know of of, of reading material to read online yeah Uh, not too much so that's be a balance Mm. um pretty much everything that's in line with um it's uh, Van Amidje's, um SL paper, 2016, which is uh, the, the iceberg model, which is, which is all about helping with student retention in, in learning. Hmm. So it being um, learning should be integrated, should be collaborative, should be engaging, should be balanced, should be, I um, can't remember what the E is now, I should look my notes out. Um, <laughs> engaging, <laughs> I can't remember yeah, now. This is, this is an and there's RNG, podcast, but yeah, it isn't, isn't a yeah. test
0: for, a, for no, a scholarship no, no. Um, um, at the no. moment. Um, no, it's not, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine, it's fine. Um, we, can, we can put a, a link um, when we when we put this um, uh, interview out so that, that um, you know, those of um, our listeners who are li- listening uh, are interested yeah. in this particular paper and the iceberg model that you mentioned can, can look at it and, uh, and refer back to it. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't come across that. There's lots of obviously there's lots of um, yeah. models and frameworks and con- con- conceptual, conceptual ways of yeah. um, thinking about this. Um, yeah, that's really interesting.
1: I think also there's um, there's there's been a lot of work on um, research. Well, I, I know this because I did it as part of my final masters module at the OU. So mm. I did it all on workload analysis, and um, Is there a right mix of learning? Is there like a Goldilocks zone of giving learners the exact increments of learning to get the best output? Um, Because at at the OU it's, it's built on, the OU's history is all about supporting learners from no education, sometimes limited educational backgrounds. So support and scaffolding is really big at the OU and I found that in my learning journey at the OU, it was very, very broad breadth of knowledge that we were given in our in our masters in our masters living. So, learning sorry not living, and um, what that meant was that you got everything everything and the kitchen sink in your learning. So you got almost too much learning to do. So, from my analysis, I realised that maybe we should be giving learners maybe more a prescribed, not prescribed approach, but more of a measured approach. Mm. So they're not overwhelmed. A bit more directive, I guess, right? Yeah, more almost directive. That's right. Yeah. Mm. but give them space to go and explore other themes and topics that kind of fit into the, into their learning framework.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, it's, um, getting that balance, especially at a master's level um, Mm. uh, is interesting. I mean, do you use any um, tools or or ways of of estimating how long things will take, um, you know, learners to read? For example, I've seen, you know, quite a few blogs now have um, this plugin for um, estimated time to read this blog post is five minutes or six minutes. Um, do, Do you have those kind of automation tools or, or, or um, guidelines yeah. in terms of you know as you say workload
1: yeah so at the OU this historically OU has been measuring workload since the 1970s or 80s when um, Ellie, Ch- Ellie Chambers was, was working at the OU so she wrote um, a really interesting paper on workload analysis but recently now very recently there was a JISC funded project with Um, with JISC obviously and the OU to create a and with a few other universities by the way so the OU wasn't one of them Mm. there was a few others involved I can't remember who they were and they created a sort of like a calculator to measure learners learning and that took into consideration of reading speed um, word count reading speed Mm. and would give you an estimate of how long it would take learner to read this material at a medium reading speed mm. and based on the material that they're reading so if it's scientific content quite complex the reading speed would be slower yes if, yes, the, re- right. if the material was quite easy sort of like mm. almost i don't know uh, more conversational quite simpler language structure that would have a slightly faster speeding re- uh, rate of, sp- uh, of reading so with those calculations, we're able to analyze what type of learning is going on. And that's done by the learning design team at the OU currently. Hmm. And then they will then give you a report saying where their recommendations would be in creating more balance for the learner.
0: Yes, almost that, like, uh, yeah, yeah, that does that does yeah. help. I mean, I've read yeah. some of the stuff and I have spoken to ex-colleagues of mine and others who... Um, about this, I, I, yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't thought about it recently, but obviously now with a lot more universities mm. doing a lot more online teaching and will be, um, you know, and have done uh, throughout this this pandemic and and previously that that does it does put that into a sharper context and actually um, makes it more mainstream than something that was um, just the realm of distance education or you know online education, whereas now you know most. Of, of our universities are doing you know 50 60 percent online mm. per program you know per course yeah. so um yeah it does it does bring this, this all of these these um things that places like the open university and other um large um online learning um, providers um have been doing for for decades uh, into mm. the kind of mainstream and, and um hopefully changes some of our Practices um, in in our face-to-face um, uh, universities, you know, physical on-campus universities, um, mm. in the future. So, yeah, it's, it is. That's a um, it's an interesting ongoing um, kind of area. That um, just personally, it's not my particular area of expertise or in, interest, but it is something that um, you know quite a few academics and others have have asked these kind of questions um and and i think that does touch upon um some of the digital divide in terms of um you know device and how long they spend reading on a small device or you know mm. mobile phone and you know chunking element of of content mm. um, and when they yeah, take breaks and can and you and know all of these um um and, and how it, how the cognitive and the effective domains then in terms of motivation and you know engagement of learners, and how that interplays um, as well. So, what other aspects of the digital divide do we need to think about?
1: I think um, I think we have to think about the global learners as well, because sometimes the um, digital divide doesn't just affect the learners in the UK. It affects everybody. If you've got a global market, I should say global market. It's a wrong word, but global. Um, learners around the world, mm. they'll have um, they'll need to be able to understand the language uh, of the English language at quite almost not basic level, but we've got to make sure that the, the the reading that they do online is accessible to them. So less metaphorical speech in in your in your kind of your teaching, and teachers I know from experience want to talk about metaphors in their learning, but mm. sometimes that can come across um, as, as, a, as a difficulty for learners from around the world to understand. So yeah, um, yeah. No, we've got I to can, be quite yeah. careful with that, with the language and the structure and how we, we structure things online.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, it can be misunderstood or just yeah not understood at all, you know, yeah. um, just lost in translation or yes. um, uh, and, and mean something Completely, you know, yeah, different to to other parts of the world where they don't have that same cultural understanding. Yeah, yeah. cultural yeah. Yeah, understanding, which is, yeah. which is definitely the case. Even with our students, international students who come over here and you know, um, have certain cultural norms of, of you know not uh, engaging with dialogue with the with the teacher, for example, and you know, mm. um, you know, certain kind of copying of of large chunks of. Um, you know, text that was that was written maybe by uh, uh, an esteemed academic in the field as a way mm. of um, of saying that they they appreciate that field, but actually, you know, in a Western culture, it's seen as plagiarism.
1: So. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah,
0: and and other such examples. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good point. Um, and then how,
1: then how do we how do we address the plagiarism issue amongst um, global learners? is is a tricky one because we have to try and create some sort of collaboration between learners that are sort of mixing up you know, learners from different backgrounds with other learners so that there's a sense of belonging and there's a sense of connection between the learners and network approach. So hopefully that negates that potential issue that they will plagiarise, you know, so.
0: Thank you to Kulvia Baha. Next time on talking HE, I speak to Dr. Chris Headleyland about teaching in a pandemic. A preview coming up.
1: So uh, my name is Chris Headland. I'm the school Director of Teaching and Learning in Computer Science at the University of Lincoln. So the main thing I've noticed while um, kind of teaching in the pandemic has been how valuable versatility has been. You know we've had to adapt and change and respond relatively quickly. Um, because this isn't, you know, I, I think when we first started, the, the attitude was well, we can learn from, you know, we, we've done distance learning before, there's loads of experience of distance learning. We can apply those same kind of rules. Um, and actually, I think what we found out is that it's, it's very different.
0: All that and more in the next episode of Talking HE. Until then, I've been Santony Vasant, and this has been Talking HE.